Hello, and thanks for listening to Beyond Prisons, a podcast on incarceration and the abolition movement. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Nam Sonstein, and on today's episode, I speak with Brian Kaneda and Woods Irvin about the Closed California Prisons campaign. But first, a little housekeeping. Beyond Prisons is an independent, ad, and paywall-free podcast that is 100% supported by listeners like you. Your support is what makes it possible for us to create important resources for political education that have been used all over the world and in a wide variety of settings, from prisons to universities. We want to continue and expand upon the work we've been doing on this show since 2017. So if you can chip in a few dollars a month or make a one-time donation, please join us at beyond-prisons.com donate. If you can't, but you still want to help out, please help us spread the word and rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. It really helps. All right. For this episode, I spoke with Brian and Woods about the Closed California Prisons Campaign, led by the statewide coalition known as CURB, or Californians United for a Responsible Budget. The campaign has been pressuring Governor Gavin Newsom and the California Department of Corrections to close prisons across the state. Last year, Curb released the People's Plan for Prison Closures, which they describe as, quote, a visionary report that outlines the failures of California's bloated carceral system and offers bold, community-centered solutions for our jail problem. After setting the stage and explaining a bit about the current state of incarceration in California, Brian and Woods tell us about the campaign's goal to close 10 prisons by 2025 and release 50,000 people or 50% of the prison population, demands which they say represent the floor. We discuss the criteria the campaign developed for selecting which 10 prisons to close first, the work of their partners in the coalition, the lack of a plan put forth by state authorities, their reliance on a just transition framework, and a whole lot more. I should note that this episode was recorded before news broke in early September that a judge ruled against the town of Susanville in a lawsuit attempting to stop the closure of the California Correctional Center, or CCC. According to a press release published by Curb and linked in the episode notes, the judge's ruling marked, quote, the end of the town's year-long fight to keep CCC, a six-decade-old facility requiring $503 million in repairs, open indefinitely. As I've said, you can find more details on this development in a press release I've linked in the episode notes, as well as links to the People's Plan for Prison Closures and information on how you can help Curb close prisons in California. Brian Kaneda is the Deputy Director for CURB, or Californians United for a Responsible Budget. He is a founding chapter member of California Coalition for Women Prisoners Los Angeles and has spent the past decade monitoring and challenging the incarceration crisis and advocating for the rights of incarcerated people. Woods Irvin, who uses they-them pronouns, is a black non-binary trans person from the South who has been deeply immersed in movements for racial and gender justice for over a decade. Woods has been a member of Critical Resistance since 2010, and from 2014 to 2018, was part of Rebuilding Transgender, Gender Variant, Intersex Justice Project, or TGIJP. Through both organizations, Woods organized as part of multiple campaigns to halt jail construction and policing. Woods is a current co-director at Critical Resistance, focusing on communications. All right, that's all for now. Thank you for listening. Here is my conversation with Brian Kaneda and Woods Irvin. Well, we are here uh, today to talk about the Closed California Prisons campaign. I'm very excited to have you both uh, here with me. Thank you very much. 
Um, I want to get into, I'm eager to get into the particulars of the campaign, the demands, the organizations involved, including Curb. Um, but before we do that, I thought it would be good if we could set the stage for people, especially people who maybe aren't familiar with um, the situation in California, particularly like developments with the pandemic and, um, you know, orders to reduce the prison population over the last, you know, three years, five years, 10 years. Um, so uh, I was wondering if you'd start there and talk about like the crossroads at which you guys are organizing in California. Um, can you just familiarize us with the moment broadly? You know, what are the forces between organized law enforcement, the pandemic, um, you know, activism that has been happening in communities and pushing for releases and things like that? How would you describe the present moment in which uh, you all are organizing? I would say that we enter in or we entered into um, this uh, campaign um, in 20, 2020 um, and clearly that was during the um, height of the uprisings across the country and, um, against uh, law enforcement. Um, but um, there's been like clearly California has a, a long and, and a history of um, fighting against um, uh, both uh, policing and, and imprisonment. And um, I would say that um, there has been both like both consistent pressure to um, stop prison both prison construction, which clearly um, I think really came to um, uh, a halt um, with uh, like close to the around 20, 2010. Um, but, um, and then, and since then, um, like organizations, um, especially like organizations that were are in CURB have been fighting um, a variety of uh, fighting like uh, with a variety of pieces of legislation um, that either were built to um, reduce the prison population uh, more broadly um, that had to do with um, uh, like ending um, life without parole, um, increasing, like ending um, uh, like uh, draconian sentencing, um, and um, basically um, taking a, a, a variety of measures to um, start to shrink the the prison population, and then like going going into twenty twenty. Um, we um, have, you know, the CDCR, which is clearly um, a, like a powerhouse institution in the state. Um, its budget has grown more than five billion over the last 20, 12 years. Um, and um, like California's correction budget overall, um, in this last year was, um, or for, for this next year is $18.6 billion. Um, and so even like, even with something like what was happening during the COVID pandemic, 
um, which is um, the, the whole crisis around the San Quentin outbreaks um, where um, people um, were um, essentially uh, in terms like manage CDCR in order to manage the like outbreak at San Quentin, um, whereas moving people around in such a way that basically exacerbated um, like an explosion of of COVID cases, um, and um, this like they're no matter what they're doing as we can see um, across the country, um, no matter what prison administration does, they're still rewarded with more funding, right? Um, and so even though um, we have this crisis, we've had um, there, in, in terms of like what we're seeing with the, the climate crisis and the increasing wildfires, um, also in 2020, um, I would say that we we had a like a particular well actually this is more so moving into last year we were focusing on one of the prisons that have been slotted for closure which we'll get into later um, CCC or California Correctional Center um, and um, there was the Dixie wildfire was basically headed straight towards um, uh, CCC. And um, CDCR and like didn't have a plan. The prison didn't have a plan. Um, and um, basically, the organizers that we were in conversation with inside um, and their and their families were were terrified, and we were terrified for them. They were, you know, exper experiencing increases in temperature and also smoke inhalation. Um, and this is basically like showing that they're like whether the crises are coming from the outside um, or inside of prisons. Um, one, being in prison exacerbates um, these crises. Um, and then um, the state um, has historically um given more funds to cdcr even after like with with all of this um unfolding um i think that we are in a particular moment where drawing on some of the organizing i was talking about earlier um and also as as you were saying brian the like um, thousands of people who were released during the mm -hmm. COVID pandemic, um, we have this opportunity to take advantage of the reduction in prison population um, and um, and push for closure, which is uh, essentially what we're what we're doing. Um, I I'll, I'll pause there and then mm -hmm. see if there's anything, Brian, you want to add. Yeah, no, I think that that's, that's really it. Um, and this is a transformational moment for criminal legal reform in California history. And that's why it's so important that we're bold in our demands and stay in course. 
Yeah, I mean, if we're we're talking about sort of this pattern with funding and planning, or I guess the lack of planning um, in this mm-hmm. interplay <laughs> between uh, between you know like the the governor's administration and the CDCR and the legislature, just kind of handing over blank checks, um, regardless of if there is a plan. You know, some people might say that that lack of the plan is the plan. It's it's that neglect and that vulnerability. Um, and, and, you know, sort of that creating that zone of sacrifice with people. Um, but I, this brings us to, you know, like sort of the development this year, I believe, um, correct me if I, if I have like the timeline or anything wrong here of, uh, Governor Newsom's prison closure plan. Um, there's a plan to close some prisons, uh, in Newsom's budget and that plan in terms of like how it would happen has been turned over to the CDCR to sort of work out the nuts and bolts. Is that correct? Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Okay. Um, I laughed a little bit when you said Governor Newsom's plan for prison closure um, and laughed harder when you mentioned CDCR's plan for prison closure, much as you suggested that's non-existent. And I think I'll start with the the good part. Um, And the good part is that Close California prisons, our campaign to close prisons across the state, successfully pushed Governor Newsom to enshrine the possibility of prison closures in the 2022-2023 enacted budget um, that just passed in June. So he is saying that it will be possible to close more prisons, but he hasn't made a commitment. And in January, all signs pointed to a really a slowdown of state prison closure efforts. So the beginning of the year, uh, the issue was almost entirely excluded from the proposed budget. And our campaign organized literally thousands of people to sign petitions, write letters, give public comments to state legislature, legislators and the governor's office. Uh, and our efforts really paid off. The language included about the possibility of more prison closures in the May revision budget. That's the budget that comes out before June. That's the direct result of grassroots advocacy and our efforts to uh, convince people in the legislature, the governor's office, really all kinds of system actors to prioritize this vital issue. So that's really what our demand is. Is, is that Governor Newsom must identify more prisons to close and create and include a concrete plan for shutting them down in the budget that's going to be released in January. And that's called the proposed budget for 2022, excuse me, 2023 and 2024. Uh, and this budget stuff can get a little wonky, but, you know, we have to make it as accessible as we can for people because this is where billions of dollars of decision making happens. And what we're asking him is to name at least eight more state prisons to shut down by 2025. And, you know, this isn't some pie in the sky demand. The state's own legislative analyst office calculated that shutting down five prisons in California would save $1.5 billion per year by 2025. So that's a pretty big chunk of money. And as a first step toward our prison closure demands, we're calling on Newsom and the state legislature in partnership with CDCR to adopt 
a smart plan to close prisons because what we've seen so far hasn't actually been very uh, expeditious or or organized. It seems a little bit random. The two prisons that were already announced for closures, the one uh, Wood mentioned earlier, CCC and DBI that was in Tracy. Um, what we're saying is that there has to be a concrete plan and community investments for formerly incarcerated people and labor solutions for towns where prisons close has to be front and center in any of these serious plans for prison closure. And, you know, you mentioned CDCR, and they've actually said on the record, on the record in sub-five meetings, the, a budget hearing meeting, that they're actively discussing the topic of prison closure with the legislature right now. So, you know, this department, as many of your listeners, I'm sure know, is often seen as a rogue department, not just by incarcerated people and their families, but actually by the legislature itself, uh, because they don't really hold up their end of bargain. Uh, they've been promising to pave a new way by being as transparent as possible about the prison closure process, but there really has been no information publicly shared about where exactly CDCR is in developing a prison closure plan. So it's impossible thus far for the public to assess that they're actually doing the work that they say that they are and not stalling in their own self-interested efforts to maintain their bloated budget um, and, and really wild spending. And we know these, these entities have a vested interest in maintaining their budgets and maintaining the status quo. So, you know, that's really what we're looking for. We're looking for CDCR to provide the legislature with a concrete plan for prison closure uh, in 2023, so next year. And the clock's ticking, y'all. It's, it's actually kind of time sensitive. And CDCR is late as usual because the next step for prison closure is for the department and the administration with the legislature to develop a list of prisons to close based on an analysis of closure criteria in the penal code. And we have some thoughts about additional criteria as well. Um, but if folks anticipate closing more prisons by 2024, 2025, which is what the budget seems to be suggesting, they need to start planning this stuff now. Cool. Yeah, there's a lot of threads I would love to pick up on there. And thank you for uh, for the way that you sort of corrected me and, and framed that uh, from the beginning, because to, to be clear, this wasn't just some sort of, you know, great idea that, uh, you know, Governor Newsom magnanimously uh, came up with on his own. The conditions were from were your creating. lips, I wish. Yeah, <laughs> he was forced uh, into a position um, by the work that you all and many others have been doing. So I think that's crucial, crucial, crucial point. Um, yeah. And I appreciate and that's not that. To Sure. And that's not to suggest that he hasn't shown some leadership on this issue, um, because that is the case. But we need sure. to more. Sure. Of course. I wanted to. So, like I said, there's a few different uh, threads from what you just said that I wanted to pick up on. One of them was on the question of criteria. Um, you all put together the People's Plan for Prison Closure, uh, which is a document that we'll link to in the episode notes. Um, and I, I liked what you did with the, the prison criteria uh, section and, and sort of um, the way that it, uh, the 
the recommendations and the framework came from, you know, a survey uh, of people who are impacted. Can you talk about the criteria for the prison closures for, um, you know, how you all decided uh, the 10 prisons that should be closed first or, or how you would figure that out? Because um, obviously we want them all to close and we wanted them all to close yesterday. Um, but how do you actually like wade into this subject in a place like California where there's uh, so many prisons, there's so much urgency, so many uh, places where the conditions are rapidly deteriorating, where, you know, like we were talking about before this call started, where things like heat waves coming through are, um, you know, putting people immediately at risk um, and at risk every day, you know, going back for years. So talk to me about the the criteria for prison closures, if you wouldn't mind. So as you were saying, um, like, uh, Curb did a, 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 an, a provide an analysis of uh, 10 state-owned prisons to prioritize for closure by 2025. Um, and it um, was rooted in feedback from um, people who are uh, currently incarcerated as well as formerly incarcerated folks in California. Um, so the, like overall, um, the 10 prisons that um, were identified, um, we know would yield uh, estimated cost savings of a, approximately 1.3 billion in infrastructure and um, capital outlay spending. But like more specifically, um, the list um, that we came up with, um, which includes like uh, notoriously like horrible prisons, we know all prisons are, are horrible, but like, notori like uh, notoriously horrible prisons like, um, like no Norco um, and um, uh, like Kern Valley um, State Prison um, were uh, top on our list, right? Um, but then, um, and uh, the the list that, like the criteria by which we, um, like the prisons are determined, and the criteria that we think look think looking forward, the that the prisons um, that are chosen for closure should be determined by are, are things such as. Um, like unsafe health conditions, I like things like like the the being in um, the path of wildfires, but also water contamination and and poisoning um, and asbestos and things like that. Um, the prisons that are the most overcrowded, um, prisons that like have an extremely high cost, like oftentimes due to them being um, dilapidated um, and, and in order to continue functioning, requiring a, a large um, expenditure in order to, to repair them. Um, I think, I mean, the, something like, like egregious about the facilities that, or like one of the facilities that is, that was closed in 2021, Dual Vocational Institute, um, like it, it between 2017 and 2020, um, it had $50 million in repairs and then was closed the next year. Just like yeah. that money could have been gone, like could have gone to um, any number of, um, of, of like 
infrastructure that supported both both like hard but also like community like community infrastructure like serving infrastructure like the like school <laughs> for instance or um hospitals um so uh those are um those are some of the criteria also like things like um like location of the the prison like a lot of um a lot of prisons are um like inaccessible um in terms of travel um are um yeah are really like like difficult to get to so um that's part of the criteria um and then um clearly as um I think we've talked a little bit about is like in prisons where there's just a, a large amount of um, like harm come like physical harm violence coming toward people inside. Clearly, that's happening across all prisons. That's a part of how how prisons function. But like looking at like folks who are actively dying in in facilities um, should be a part of it. Um, and so um, that is part of our thinking for the report, but also um, as you know, Brian was saying earlier, um, the idea would be that California and the, the state legislature would work with um, like with CURB um, is part of incorporating these criteria uh, for, for closure, right? Um, so even if they don't necessarily, we, we I think done a lot of the work for them by actually naming like facilities that they could just go ahead and move on closing. But right. um, if they want to act, like if they want to do more work and make a decision um, like the, for themselves, like uh, they could, these are the, the criteria that we recommend that they use. Yeah, on, on the, the topic of legislation, too, I was wondering if you all wanted to run down, um, you know, some of the recommendations to increase releases and close more prisons that you had in here. Um, I think what I also really appreciate about this is that, like, this isn't just a matter of closing facilities, right? Like, this campaign and this plan take seriously the need to, you know, also deal with the mechanisms that lead to uh, incarceration in the first place, the, the way the way that, uh, you know, um, policing is used in California and in other places, but to but to, you know, create a situation like this and sort of target those things um, so that, you know, we're not just moving people from one facility <coughs> to the next from, you know, like state prison to uh, like county jails, like, <clears throat> like as happened with realignment um, and, and, you know, really target admissions uh as well and and um uh uh you yeah. know i hate the word recidivism you know but like the ability for the police to continue to police people after they've been released and bring them back into the system so i was wondering if you could just run through um and I, there's a lot here i know so if you wanted to highlight a few rather than go through all of them um but speak to some of the legislative recommendations that you're bringing here yeah i think that's super important i mean we have to think about decriminalization as part of this work um, and then figuring out how to get people out. That has a lot of legislative solutions and then making sure that they have some place to go once they're released. And we've endorsed a lot of recommendations to increase releases and close more prisons. That includes uh, repealing draconian sentencing. So we mean lengthy 
sentences, those often caused by sentencing enhancement. Um, we need to do that retroactively so that it applies to people who are already in prison, not just folks who are facing sentences now. That means ending uh, the three strikes law, for instance, uh, doing things like passing the Racial Justice Act, uh, AB 256, which is um, basically going to be decided in the next week or so. Um, that would allow folks to challenge racism it, that occurred during their arrest or in their sentencing. We all know there's incredible sentencing disparities, especially between Black people compared to white folks. Uh, Curb also co-sponsored uh, the RISE Act, uh, SB 483, which really could take thousands of years off of people's sentence enhancement. Um, and I thought it was interesting you mentioned before when you were talking about transfers. So far with prison closure, there have been no releases, none, no releases associated right. with closing prison. So it's really essential that when we're thinking about a concrete plan for prison closure, we're also thinking about how to let people go. And that's an area where the governor can exercise a great deal of authority, especially in cases of life without parole. Um, the governor underuses his clemency power. Um, and as we saw during the height of the COVID pandemic, there were actually a push toward more releases, some more successful than others. But our prison population is around 100,000, which is the lowest that it's been since the 1990s. And CURB has advocated to immediately free 50,000 people in the interest of public health. You know, we need to get rid of gang enhancements. There's, there's so much to be done. And even in the state budget, the piece that Newsom outlined as essential is re reducing prison population further in all in the effort to advance prison closure. So that means that he's saying that the amount of people we can get out of prison is directly related to how many we can close. And you know, we, we know that we could close prisons tomorrow and figure out what real safety looks like for all of our people. But he's saying this is one of the metrics that are going to be utilized to determine how many prisons close, which means it has to be an effort of all of our advocacy, making sure people get out. And if I could, I just wanted to back up a little bit to what Woods was saying earlier. And I, talking about this criteria, I think it's so important. And just like they mentioned, Woods was saying, you know, our prison closure criteria um, was derived from a survey of over 2,000 system-impacted people. Um, and, you know, all of these conditions, unsafe uh, health conditions, the overcrowdedness, all of these issues that would mention, um, these are all things that should be included in the uh, overall criteria for prison closure for the state. Um, CDCR absolutely should incorporate all of these criteria, but you know, as we know, all state prisons are toxic, and California would collectively, cumulatively benefit by any state prison closing. You know, that's why we need a concrete plan. And, you know, we're not saying ours is prescriptive. We think we have the right idea. But if the governor and the legislature have prisons that they want to close, listen, there's no such thing as a bad prison to close. But CDCR should expand the criteria to include impacted voices. And, you know, um, there's, there's a lot of, there's 10 prisons on our list. 
And a lot of them honestly could be closed in tandem at the same time as the prison that is designated for closure but still remains open now, which is CCC. And uh, a lot of these prisons are being discussed in the public sphere all already. Um, Norco was brought up as an example. Uh, KVSB, um, that is a really scary prison. And we had over uh, 6,000 people sign a petition to free people from KVSB and, and close the prison. Um, there are uh, Norco. I mean, Wiz mentioned Norco earlier. That prison is so notorious. We're talking roaches, rodents, bad drinking water. The bathrooms are a mess. The electrical system is shot. Governor Jerry Brown tried to close that prison a decade ago, and it, it almost did close about seven or eight years ago, but it got this reprieve because of overcrowding. And shutting down Norco it actually would be an economic boom. And this is what experts are saying in that area because the prison site is actually part of like this busy interstate that folks want to develop. Um, you know, there's a prison in Kings County uh, where the Fresno mayor themselves, who's an ex-CO, she's saying that she anticipates that as uh, a prison that could be closing. Um, so, you know, we've already moved into this conversation about what prisons could close next. We've provided a list based on the experiences of uh, formerly incarcerated and currently incarcerated organizers. But, you know, hey, let's shut them down. If you've got, a, if you've got an idea of one you want to close, our folks are prepared to partner with anyone in order to make the process smoother. Picking up, too, on what you were saying earlier, um, and I guess sort of a recurring theme in this conversation uh, about this, again, not just being about closing physical facilities um, and even being about more than releasing people, like we also need to uh, use an opportunity like this to fight for the other kinds of supports, relationships, services, things that we need in the community to help people who are coming home from prisons um, to reduce uh, poverty, you know, whether it's mm -hmm. something like uh, shelter or food or healthcare. Um, and I believe that you guys are organizing in coalition with some other organizations who are sort of focused on different aspects of that equation. Is that right? Yes, that, that is correct. I mean, I, we're in, I mean, it, Curb also is um, uh, a leader in the Care First um, uh, campaign and and there's um there are like we are clearly prioritizing um solutions that keep like public safety solutions that keep everybody safe right um so i i one thing i did want to make mention of is that um part of the the campaign moving forward um we would like to um introduce like legislation or some some sort of legislation that would help um, chart out a course for what um, an ideal prison closure would look like. And that would include, um, uh, that would include thinking about what happens one with the facility, um, but the, the actual in, like structure, but then also what happens with the funds that get um, saved for like by by 
closing those facilities, right? Um, and so um, with it in the, the closed California prison campaign, like we maintain that the best solution for closed prison is for them ideally to be torn down and the land to be um, returned to indigenous communities from which they were taken. Um, but um, if that is not the, you know, what the state is, is orienting towards, there are a lot of examples um, um, that we can point to, such as um, the, there's the Arthur Kill Correctional, Correctional Facility that closed down in New York um, in 2011. Um, and um, that became a movie studio. Um, <laughs> and uh, I know, um, and, but in 2012. Gary, horror uh, movies only, horror movies only. Horror movies yeah, only. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in, in 2012, the Bayview Correctional Facility um, was converted into a building that served um, women who were exiting um, incarceration as well as like uh, repurposed for an event space, right? So there's like all, there, there are multiple examples um, from both around the country and around the world um, of um, public, like uh, sort of large scale public spaces that are, are needed to, um, serve uh, the communities in California. Um, but um, some, some areas of interest that we want we wanted to we want to focus on um, is like clearly we want to support folks who are um, survivors uh, of harm um, and um, providing either spaces or resources, um, including uh, like funding trauma care, emergency rooms, um, and, and those sorts of things. Um, we want to support um, folks who are uh, struggling with substance abuse or substance use disorders. Um, and then um, particular with a focus on harm reduction, uh, like uh, the like providing safe injection sites, um, having read, readily available Narcan, et cetera. Um, there's like a big push around the state around um, increasing mental health treatment. And mm -hmm. um, so whether it be um, community-led crisis response teams, but also just um, having the number of um, free and available treatment beds that aren't locked, um, that aren't you don't either have to that either aren't a jail themselves or don't like you don't have to access through a jail or a prison facility um and like like violence and harm prevention programs investing in those things um and like the i think the list goes goes on and on in terms of what's what's possible um in, in thinking about the the roadmap process um but um I think that um, that that's still some some of those pieces are still to be determined in terms of what uh, that looks like in uh, as we go transition from roadmap into uh, the concrete plan moving forward. I know when you were speaking with Kim earlier this summer about the campaign, 
um, there was a good conversation that you had around the just transition for the prison labor force. Um, and I know that this is, uh, I think maybe for some people like a little bit of a, a prickly issue, but I think that it's, you know, very sort of politically prudent um, of you all to include this as part of your plan for facility closure and decarceration. Um, you know, I think it strikes uh, at the heart of a lot of sort of the sources of power and the arguments that uh, we hear time and time again, anytime there's a conversation around prison closures. Um, so can you talk a little bit about this aspect, the the just transition for the prison labor force, why you included it? You know, what are some of the obstacles um, that not doing this presents and maybe even that does uh, including it present? Um, talk to me about this aspect of the campaign. Um, oh, I think it's a great question. And just to clarify for folks uh, what a just transition is, um, because it's this really powerful framework that comes to us from our uh, environmental justice partners. Um, and Brian, earlier you were asking, you know, who, who are we bringing into the campaign? Who would we like to bring into the campaign? And uh, really, I think the most important folks um, that can really amp up their involvement in some of this anti-carceral work are people from the environmental sphere and people from the labor world. Because just transition is a really powerful lens to think about uh, these questions. It's a framework that was developed to aid in the economic shift away from extractive economies, such as oil, for instance. We know oil and gas are extractive economies and, and impressive systems. We know prisons are an extractive economy. And we need to move away from a lot of these things toward a more sustainable, regenerative economic future. And all of the systems of care Woods was talking about, um, all of these uh, healthcare initiatives, green jobs, uh, behavioral crisis response, and all of the solutions we know that are community-based uh, that can actually solve the incarceration crisis. And, you know, I know the idea of a just transition can be scary for some people because, you know, we're talking about jobs and jobs are a great source of dignity to so many folks. And we acknowledge fully that closing state-owned prisons is a really complex issue with a lot of moving parts and a lot of them have to do with labor and job loss and economic infrastructure, sometimes of rural communities. And these are really, these are real concerns. Um, but I must say, they ignore a lot of the research of the experts in this field that tell us that prisons are actually really terrible economic engines. And the truth is, is, is people have to believe that we can do better than this, while simultaneously understanding that the reason why we have to close these places in the first place is because they are distinctly and uniquely and terribly racist. And that's in the interest of racial justice, they have to close, but it's also in the interest of environmental justice. We know prisons are toxic, of economic justice. They're expensive and prey upon poor people. And public health, they're petri dishes for infection. And all of these issues have to be connected. And reducing prison spending is what provides us with an opportunity to activate wasted resources so that we could take care of all of our community members and build a future where everyone is able to meet their needs, 
survive, thrive. And, you know, the truth is, we think that California and the Newsom administration do, in fact, have an obligation to provide a just transition to sustainable economies for any person that's impacted by prison closure. Um, and that would help create these pathways for new careers that have a viable future, because we all know prisons aren't our future. And, you know, by a viable future, we mean pays a living wage, uh, a competitive wage, a thriving wage. These are jobs that would heal instead of hurt. So we, we can't have them, we don't want them to scare people because we know change is hard, but it's also essential. And, you know, just as a caveat, prison jobs might pay okay when we're talking about people that work at prison. But they're actually really unhealthy trauma-inducing roles in really toxic environments. And the, the, the literature on this is very, very clear. And it's important for all of us, especially the state, to be in dialogue with stakeholders to provide and support new economic opportunities for people, and especially prioritizing reentry services for people who are formerly incarcerated uh, to help them join the kind of new economies that we're talking about. And, you know, just to be clear, we also don't mean that COs, correctional officers, should be trained as like mental health care workers or whatever, because, you know, there's a lot of harm that has to be resolved there. But there are careers in construction, infrastructure, broadband, green economies. All of these can be centered um, because, you know, there's a lot to do infrastructurally in our, in our state. One really smart idea, Lassen County, we were talking about the Dixie Fire earlier, you know, Lassen County was hugely affected by the Dixie Fire. Susanville is in Lassen County. CCC, the prison that is hopefully will be closing soon is in Susanville. You know, one of the reasons why they're freaked out is because some of the prisoners fight fires there. Firefighting is a great career opportunity, you know, that maybe folks could transition into who are part of the, you know, free residents of, of Susanville. And if there were statewide policies, that's why we're calling for a concrete plan, because if there were statewide policies that focused on a just transition to new careers and provided substantial community investment, what we would see is actually the opposite of what people fear. We would see a positive economic domino effect, which would uplift everyone. And this can all be engaged by engaging with folks. Like people, people have dreams for their towns, for their communities that aren't prison. And we can help realize these dreams with the right community investment and being in an open dialogue altogether. I appreciate the note about, you know, not training COs to be mental health workers. I also liked uh, in your section here, when you're talking about care first economies, it also means not just investing in turning them into cops, right? Because the, that career path between being a cop and a CEO and just sort of, you know, lilting back and yeah. forth from one to the other is not really going to get us where we need to go here. So I, I we gotta I, avoid that yeah. one. Yep, for sure. Just to pick up on that, um, to underline Brian's earlier statement about there's the there is the the what the question about what to do with with um, COs, but there's the vision that we have in terms of just transition is there's the is is more more jobs for people who aren't just the the CEOs who will be transitioned out of 
um, law enforcement, whether it be guards or cops, but also um, for people who, for everyday Californians who um, need access to better jobs. Um, and especially folks like formerly incarcerated people who will ideally will not be in prisons anymore and will therefore need um, viable and, 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 and um, robust right. employment. But like we're thinking about also the, the places where like re resourcing in the sort of most robust sense of the word, the, the places where people who are incarcerated come from as well, not just the prison towns or the, the guards in terms Absolutely. of thinking about how that transition happens. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we're not talking here about creating like a pet program designed just to help COs find new jobs, right? We're talking about transforming the economy and the social relations for everybody. Uh, and that includes exactly. both people who are uh, criminalized and impacted by incarceration and those who uh, work in these in these prison towns. Um, sure. Those were the questions that I had today. Was there anything that we didn't touch on? Any final thoughts? I have one powerful thought, one powerful thought. Um, and that thought is community. Uh, just like how moves I've been by the leadership of our member organizations like Critical Resistance, uh, folks like our Baker Center. Really, there's so many people who have plugged into this work. Um, and there's room for more. And, you know, we're really hoping that people are inspired by the work of post California prison and that they'll, you know, be following the campaign's efforts um, to see where they can get involved. And, you know, a lot of a lot of the work that we try to do is making is making budgets a little sexier for people because I know that it can seem kind of dry. Uh, but there's so much we can do as individuals and especially as individuals who are members of organizations to write our representatives, to call in when there's opportunities, to follow the developments that are happening in the prison closure process because we're talking about billions of dollars and tens of thousands of people's lives. We all know that solving the incarceration crisis, uh, ending the incarceration crisis is the moral and ethical imperative of our time. And for people who are situating themselves in anti-racist work, I just really strongly encourage them to pay attention to prison closure.